This is the Urban Jellicle Podcast. Hello, welcome to Urban Jellicle. My name is Mike Kelly, and I'm sitting here with a new friend, someone that we're going to be working with in the network. His name is David Whitehead, and he's the global catalyst for City to City Redeemers Coaching. And we're excited to have you with us, David. Thanks for joining us today. It's good to be with you, Mike. It's, a, it's truly a privilege to be here. So um, what does uh, a global catalyst for coaching do at City to City? Let's frame your story a little bit. Tell us something about yourself and about the work that you're doing with yeah. City to City. Do you, do you mean before or after the mid-afternoon matinee? What, which, which part <laughs> do you want me to Well, let's go oh, with okay. the morning because I'm kind of a morning <laughs> Yeah. Well, what, one of the things that I do, Mike, for City to City, we we are a, a multi-channel, multi-node network of um, church planting movements that are trying to facilitate gospel movement um, in, in all around in global cities around the world. So, my job is to come in and help set up support networks for the leaders in the uh, medium of coaching. Um, I've, I've been church planning for a long time. I'm a little bit older buck. So my first church was 82. I wish I had had a coach in 1982. Uh, I would have, oh man, I'm probably still need therapy in my soul from those years. So, so what I'm doing now is I'm helping set up, I, I believe every leader deserves a coach. And so I want to set up the networks, and I am setting up the networks where in an indigenous fashion, uh, we are training, uh, we're recruiting, training, and deploying coaches for church planning networks throughout the world that are gospel-centered coaches, um, heavily influenced by the work of Dr. Tom Wood, his Mm -hmm. dissertation on gospel coaching, which is a variation. It actually is pretty significant difference from business coaching. And I like that difference and it really uh, makes it perfect for the Christian leader. So let's talk a little bit about that. Talk about that distinction because that's what we're of course about in, in our space here with the network and with city to city. So distinguish gospel coaching from what people think of when a lot of marketplace folks have coaches uh, tell us a little bit yeah. about how those things differ. Well, coaching, a lot of times people think of someone who's coming in and giving them life skills. And that's part of it. Like, you know, you think of a basketball coach, a football coach, the very famous Vince Lombardi. This gentleman is a football at the yeah. beginning of every football season. You know, in a sense, uh, coaching in its traditional form uh, has the assumption that you have all the answers within and if I just ask you enough good questions, we will unlock the answers from within and you will be able to go forward. Okay. The variation here, though, that we see is with the gospel. The gospel says, wait a minute, take a little Jack Miller quote. We're a lot more sinful than we want to admit, and we're a lot more loved than we could ever dream. And so um, that's true for leaders, too. And so when we recognize that rubric. Now we're coming in not just to recognize the answers are within as much as the answers come from above. Okay. So it's it's helping that leader not only take the project forward, but having a gospel lens, uh, uh, if I could even use this term, a gospel sounding board, something that helps reflect back to that leader, not just what they're doing, but how what they're doing is shaping them. Yeah. 
So, Mike, I've got a big premise that I work with, and it's basically this. God uses our ministry as a means of grace to disciple us. Sure. That's great. The question is, yeah, do we have the eyes to see or the ears to hear? And so that's what coaching does. It helps give that leader the eyes to see and the ears to hear what the Spirit, what the report card the Spirit is giving them, not just in their project, but in their soul. And that's one of the things I love about this. It, we're we're um, One of my little pithy sayings for church planters is, hey, what good is it do to break the 200 barrier and lose your soul? Uh, because <laughs> church growth isn't all it's cracked up to be. It's it's really it's really not. So you're operating at the intersection of of skill and and soul or skill and self. Yeah, yeah, in some ways. Well, it would be the project. It would be the leader. It would be uh, the, the entire environment, because, you know, most Christian leaders are like a turtle on a fence post. They didn't get there on their own. Right. <laughs> so so it's also taking into account who put them on that fence post. It's also the larger factors, even beyond their project, okay. that play into how they should lead forward. If I'm dealing with a denominational head of the Southern Baptist, that's super different than a church planter with, uh, say, the vineyard. They're going to have very different organizational realities they have to deal with. So it's a comprehensive approach, context, uh, the person, their gifts, their weaknesses, their struggles. That's Yeah. And so when you're working around the world, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what COVID's done to that. But give us the the paradigm. You're, you're training planters or you're training coaches for planters? Or is the answer yes to those? Tell us about that. No, no, no. I'm training. And interestingly enough, now I'm training the leaders who will be training the coaches who will be coaching the planters. Okay, gotcha. Now, one of the big differences, and I'm glad you put it that way, Mike, because one of the big differences of coaching is coaches don't train a leader. We come alongside a leader. So we're doing our best. We, I actually, we train coaches on how to stay out of the way of the leader. And so, and and as a result, the coach can actually, once they understand how coaching works, it expands the opportunity. So for example, I'm coaching uh, a, um, I've been coaching for six years, a pastor of a church in Harlem, and he's been recommending now to other African-American leaders in the Harlem area. Now I'm white. I'm not, I'm not black and I've never lived in Harlem, but because I'm a coach and I stay alongside I know how to help that leader understand the landscape they're facing, and I also help them understand where their church is in that landscape and how to take what they need to do to take the next step forward. That's exciting. Yeah, that distinction uh, is essential because training is uh, critical, but coaching is is different. So when it's not COVID, are you doing this uh, in person around the world, maybe in New York City or somewhere else? Uh, and what's the COVID landscape done to change the way you do your work? And we'll talk a little bit about how it might impact the future here in a moment. Yeah, no, it will. It does. already has. I, I think, you know, I do a lot of my work via Zoom and other social media platforms. I use technology quite a bit. Interestingly enough, um, the famous saying, the medium is the message actually helps a lot in this context because when you coach someone on a video screen, you're actually forcing them to get rid of all the other little distractions. They are, they're honed in on that little rectangle in front of them. 
you have their attention. <laughs> so as a result, you can help them focus. And, and for leaders, particularly in a day of the information age, where it's instant access on the phone or Twitter or fill in the blank, the, one of the greatest gifts I feel like coaching gives a leader is the gift of space and even the space to think. A lot of space for them to process without something else distracting them so they can focus on what they think is important. And uh, yeah, it's amazing what happens with a little bit of silence. Exactly. I, uh, I used to tell when I was a senior pastor, I used to tell young guys in seminary, uh, don't become a pastor if you, uh, if you want to read. Uh, become an assistant pastor, then you can read. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. there's just no time. That's well said. And uh, yeah, now that well I'm an said. associate pastor and my former assistant is the senior pastor, I remind him that I was right about that. And I read way more than he does now. <laughs> right. So you, right. You found that COVID and, and this platform uh, helps you focus contained space that can't get interrupted. Have you noticed other, uh, other impacts uh, as you've intersected with leaders around the world or around the country? during this last 12 months of disruption? Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some, certainly some threads. And, um, you know, one of the things that COVID has done, it's, it's almost like for those, for those who are listening who went to college, you know, college is in that unique space where everybody experiences finals at the same time. Everybody experiences spring break at the same time. And that's why we have so many romantic ideas about those college years is because it's, one of the few times where everybody's endured hardship in the same way, midterms, finals. That's interesting. Well, COVID has done that for the world. <laughs> we, we all now know what it's like to be quarantined and to be in a room for a period of time. In Europe, they, they have to have a pass just to leave their place, and they're only allowed one pass a week. So you better make it work when you leave your place. Um, uh, Australia has done the best job of it all, but this is the first time that I can that I know of that whether I'm talking to leaders in Brazil, Australia, Africa, Europe, uh, North America, South America, and I talk to all those countries weekly. Um, this is the first time I can remember where everybody's experiencing the same thing. That's a fascinating. Um work of providence god puts leaders of course in our space and ministry but also all around the world but speaking of our part of the community of workers we're all dealing with the same things and we're yeah. all in the same space contained by the same obstacles and opportunities so al barth who i spoke with last week and will be on one of these episodes he noticed or he his perception i'm interested in your uh, take on it is that leaders are in a place where they're more ready to listen and understand and interact with each other than he's seen in a long time, maybe ever. Yes, I would say church planting and COVID produced the same results. It humbles the leader. Yeah. Um, so they, they both are, you know, everybody, everybody's really um, brilliant in a, a classroom. Exactly. But when you're when you're dealing with the realities of church planning or the fact that you have you, you're not able to have services now for over a year, um, you know, Alan Hirsch said this in a podcast for City to City. I thought it was a brilliant analogy. He talked about 
uh, a chess game. And it's appropriate with the recent Queen's Gambit, you know, yes. on Netflix. But he says, it's like a chess game. And we, uh, we've taken off the queen, which is Sunday morning. And when you take off the queen, if you want to learn how to play chess, try to learn without the queen, because then you have to understand what all of the other pieces are supposed to do. And that's where a lot of pastors are. They're looking at their chessboard, and there's no queen. Now, beauty of that is that the king is still on the board. Yes. <laughs> that is a profound analogy. That's yeah, really yeah, and that's Alan. He's super profound. But, but I think for a lot of pastors, they're, they're, they're landlocked because they don't know how to do ministry without the queen, without Sunday morning. And I would submit to you, that's providential. That is the hand of God, because I see that our definition of church has been so myopic, so truncated, that everything revolves around an event, whereas in an information age, everything has been decentralized. So as a result, a lot of pastors might think that COVID caused the decrease of the people at their church. I disagree. Stats show that people were already leaving the church in record numbers before COVID. COVID has accelerated it. Yes. And so pastors are between a rock and a hard place because of the rise of the nuns, the people who say we have no religious affiliation based upon uh, certain statisticals, uh, uh, certain uh, census surveys. And then recently, the Barna survey that said 30% of Christians who said uh, after COVID, they were not going to return to their Sunday morning church. So pastors have the rise of the nuns who say, we're not going to church, millennials, Generation Z, no thank you, not interested. And now the the people they do have, a third of them are not going to come back after COVID. Well, I feel like ending the podcast. That's pretty discouraging, but we won't do it. Because it's not actually, I'm hopeful for the church. I think it's a great opportunity that we're in the midst of, frankly. That's right. If you're banking on the queen, then yes, you're going to be in tremendous disappointment once COVID's over. You mentioned, go ahead. I was just going to say, for those who recognize it's not about Sunday morning. uh, Once again, I'm... I really believe in church planting. I am a church planting guy, but Jesus didn't say go into all the world and plant churches. Yeah. He said, go into all the world to make disciples. There is nothing that right now, there is nothing diminishing our ability to make disciples. Nothing except for our imagination. That's it. That's good stuff. You mentioned Hirsch about, and uh, made me think of adaptive leadership. We've been forced into that uh, context uh, dramatically in the last year, you know, how well we've all done is, you know, remains to be seen. But you also mentioned humility. Those two things, I think, are connected, our adaptability and our humility. Those things and what other things do you notice emerging in effective leaders that you're working with this year? What characteristics, what elements, what gifts or character settings do you recognize and think that's going to serve that person well? Well, I actually, what's, what's been interesting are the people who are actively involved in the communities that their churches are located in and who have been pre-COVID, Mike, they're actually 30, 40% over budget. They've added people to their community via digital. They've not decreased at all. They've actually increased And so uh, I'm seeing that pretty consistently, actually. So it comes down to, I I think 
one of the big things that churches can face is having the ability to have learning agility. So um, Alvin Toffler, who famous author in the 20th century, who wrote a book called Future Shock, where he was a futurist and actually very good at what he did. He made this remarkable statement, which I think rings true. He said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it. He said, illiteracy in the 21st century will not be those who cannot read or write, but those who cannot unlearn and relearn. I do think that is the 21st century illiteracy. We're going to have to have a certain level or an, a, 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 a profound level of agility in order to unlearn the old methods, relearn the new methods, recognizing that the gospel never changes, but our methods absolutely should. And for a lot of people, Tom Rainier says uh, he's, a, he's a church guru, has thousands of people, used to be president of Lifeway. And I heard a podcast recently where he said 75% of the thousands of pastors he serves are simply waiting for COVID to be over and expecting things to go back to quote unquote normal. And Rayner's point is they're going to be sorely disappointed. I think they will. They'll also, I think, miss an opportunity to, uh, to explore and exercise ministry. Let's call ministry muscles that they that they've long since forgotten. So when we talk about humility, learning agility, and an and a adaptive approach to leadership, we're really at the intersection or at least at the border of a leader's skills and their own internal ability to relearn and redo. So when you're coaching someone in that, in that kind of a context, how do you do the dance? Because you're not a trainer, but it's going to it's going to require new skills that need to be learned. Perhaps you actuate the interior motives and capacity to recognize that. Or uh, I'm not trying to describe how you do your job, and maybe I'm screwing it up. But I'm wondering how you toggle between those two, or what you focus on. Well, the good the good news is is that we're in um, <clears throat> we're in an information age. So um, if you if you want to know how to brain surgery, do brain surgery, you can literally Google it on YouTube and watch how to do brain surgery. Um, Google MD going that boom. Exactly. Yeah, I'm going to start my practice next week. But I think that um, as a result, part of the once again, talk about the unlearning and relearning paired with leadership agility. Mike, a lot of pastors still feel like they are supposed to be the expert. And in the 21st century, expert leader leadership is the lowest level of leadership okay. because your sermon may be great, but guess what? I can get a better sermon on YouTube. <laughs> That's the facts. As a matter of fact, I don't even have to listen to your sermon now. I, I can listen to fill in the blank, the preacher du jour all day long and have fantastic teaching coming to me. The, particularly the American church, which I'm assuming this is the North American church, which will be the the vast probably listenership here. Christians have more access to information than the book of Acts Christians did. Sure they do. And they kicked butt and took, take, took names. And we're sitting here whining about a virus. Ouch. Yeah. So, so the, once again, it's, it's expert driven culture uh, is the lowest form. So the book on that is um, 
leadership agility by Joiner, and he, and he talks about different levels. You have a leader, you have a catalyst, you are no a leader, an achiever, a, a catalyst, a synergist, and a co-creator. I would submit to you that one of the great shifts leaders need to make, pastors and Christian leaders need to make, is to go from the leadership mode, which has already been outdated, and go into a synergist or a catalyst. So do they have to understand what's going on with social media? Well, if you've got anybody in your community that's under the age of 30, the answer is no. Okay. They are experts on social media. So can you empower them? to do this kind of work. And so the, and, and because of, once again, the internet, you have access to more people than you ever have prior to COVID because we're all online now. So um, the, I think we have a fantastic frontier. It's just in a digital realm and we have to be willing to adjust and adapt. And is it as good as community? I don't know, probably not, certainly for a boomer like me. But on the other hand, can I use that to create connection? Absolutely. I sure can. But once again, if churches are just podcast or are broadcasting their service, just like you would be in a building, dead in the water, you know, because when that person, when you're looking at their face on Zoom and that flash of white goes across their face, guess what? That's not the glory of the Lord. They, they, they're looking at your screen. Now they're looking at Instagram. <laughs> they have checked out, but they still look like they're watching your sermon. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. I have never experienced Yeah, exactly. So, so that's the point. We've got to keep them off Instagram, Mike. <laughs> wow. Well, let's close in prayer. Our work here is done. The, um, I'm trying to formulate a question about what's, what are the dynamics or what's involved in the catalyst or uh, synergist leader, somebody who uh, brings people together and actuates them. But I'm drawing a blank other than to cue it up like that. How, how would you characterize that kind of uh, engagement with your community as its leader? I would, I would start. That's a great question. Um, in my opinion, I usually, when I'm coaching guys, I usually get them to start with what are the primal needs? Uh, theologian Francis Schaeffer in the 1960s and 70s wrote about the mannishness of man, how we can run, but we take us with us. So uh, COVID did not change who we are as a people. Uh, so there are still primal needs that we are desperately looking for. What are they? And instead of doing something that's just a form because you've already done it, always done it this way, start asking, what's the primal need and how can we begin to meet that primal need? And when you start asking it from that perspective, when you're looking, uh, to me, a good theology is a good biblical anthropology. When you start looking at people through that line, you start seeing opportunities and trends that can activate others to help you with whatever that primal need is. Okay. So to be, go from an expert where you feel like you got to know everything, now you're going into a synergist where you're saying, oh gosh, what our people need right now is community. They don't have community. Well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a preacher, but I'm not a community builder. Who can we empower to help build community? And what about community makes it real for people? Well, it's connection. It's being known. It's being heard. Okay, how do we capture that? Well, I have no idea. Let's give it to some other people. 
we'll let them think that through for us. That's good stuff. The um, I'm just about finished with uh, No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings and, and another author, the, the founder and CEO of Netflix. And he talks about a lot of things in there. Interested in this image, he speaks of your view of this image. He speaks of their org chart, such as it is, uh, th to be a better, a better metaphor is a, that the leaders are the trunk of the tree that, that feed and strengthen and support the people that are doing ministry. I thought it was a fascinating image for opposed to a top-down model. Uh, I'm wondering, in an org chart classically understood, I'm wondering if that imagery is a bit connected to the kind of thing you're talking about. Find out as a leader who's there, what resources and support they need to do the work that the church is called to. Mike, if we only had some scriptural reference would talk would, would help us talk about like equipping people for the work of ministry. If there was only somewhere how where was that we could pull from? Yeah, I don't know. Something like that to the Ephesians. I don't know. That would have been helpful. <laughs> right. You could yeah, also but, look from, from Reed Hastings. <laughs> but once again, this is you know, to the point, COVID has done us a tremendous favor in the church mm -hmm. because we have drifted over into a, a wrong-sided methodologies that now COVID has thrown out the window, and now Christian leaders are faced. What are we supposed to do? I would submit to you, we're actually coming back to some expressions of New Testament realities in the church. I'm not going to say the New Testament church, because which one, right? Mm -hmm. But but the, there there is a there's an awareness of where the church is not the dominant force in a culture. Yes. And one of the, one of the gifts I had being a church planner in Manhattan, New York for 17 years is the Christians were certainly the tail, not the head. We were definitely below. We were not above. We were definitely on the fringes. You know, to be a Christian was almost a death knell to your career in Manhattan. I, I, I hear it's similar in your part in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, that was actually very helpful for me to recognize we have to do this differently here. We cannot assume that the church is the center of a community the way it used to be 150 years ago. It's over. And I've been in Seattle with my wife and family at this church, uh, which started the Northwest Network that we now lead uh, for 25 years. I've actually grown to enjoy living and serving in a context where I don't set the table, I don't make the invites, you know. I get invited to a table sometimes, uh, culturally, socially, in my community. I think it's a good place for the church to be. Uh, I do too. Yeah, it's, it's satisfying. So you and I are both um, of the same vintage, and when we move down a few decades into the our own arc of leadership, growth, and development, we start to think about what, what we've learned, probably things we wish we would have learned 10 years earlier. Uh, it intersects with that agility and, a, and the ability to unlearn and relearn. What characteristics do you see as you're coaching folks? Do, do you see a pattern or do you see certain elements that uh, that usually emerge later in a minister's or, or, or a leader's ministry? Do you see things that, that you'd like them to recapture from when they were young or you know, thinking of uh, of all those words in the Bible about young leaders and old leaders, young women, uh, older women, 
what does that arc look like in your experience as a, as an equipper of coaches? Well, I think ultimately, you know, to give you, that's a very broad question. It's a hard <laughs> question to answer in a, in a quick answer, but I, I, here's a big rock in my opinion, Mike. And I think this is going to be way more relevant as we progress in the next five years, as you and my generation gets older and they're going to start wanting to retire from their lead pastorates, from the heads of their ministry, the, the, um, the transfer of power mm-hmm. is going to become a, a righteous, a godly transfer of power is going to be essential. So I would say on a large stroke to your question, how do we view power? How much are we actually hoarding? How much, you know, most churches wage wars of attrition. We don't hit things head on. We just starve it to death so we can hold on to whatever we want. So what wars of attrition are we waging that are actually going to hurt us 10 years from now simply because we don't want to give up power, because we really want to keep that that amount? So I would say that's a big one because I foresee a lot of people leaving ministry after COVID. I foresee a lot of pastors are going to, I think we'll probably see an exodus of people leaving the ministry. And, and my question is, how are they going to transfer it? How are they going to enable the next generation to truly take whatever the church is supposed to look like for the 21st century and go forward? And, and Mike, I'm speaking actually in a North American context. Sure. We, we're, we're facing that challenge. You know, the, the wealth that was transferred from uh, the boomer generation to the next generation or their, the preceding one is significant. But the, in the church alone, it's all across every sector, but in the church alone, the, the, um, the authority and power and influence uh, that's going to be given up or held on to is significant. We're trying to, in our own way, as a network, we think a lot about the 10-year-old kid that was at church on Sunday and he was sleeping. Mm-hmm. And uh, the realization that he's going to, uh, that some leader, that couple's going to plant a church that's 10 now. They don't even know each other. 20 years from now, they're going to plant a church. And what kind of, what does that transition look like? How do we empower them? And how do we make that as organic and liberating as we possibly can for folks. That's a big part of what we're trying to do here. And this intersects with what you're speaking of, I think. So, Yeah. And I think uh, one of the, you know, I, I really like the aspect of thinking from a kingdom mindset and bringing the church in that rubric versus the other way around that we're thinking with a church mindset and then trying to fit the kingdom into that. That doesn't fit. Okay. So I believe the church are outposts of the kingdom. The kingdom of God, when Jesus talked about the kingdom is in your midst, it wasn't limited to the synagogues or his teachings. God was moving throughout the world. I only see what my father is doing, right? That was Jesus. Well, God is always doing stuff. Question is, do we see it? And it's and it's not just on Sunday mornings or in a Bible study. It's in work. So, so actually the whole aspect of a faith in work mentality. How do we live this? Where do we see the hand of God Monday through Friday? Uh, some of this is is uh, needed desperately in order for us to 
see a kingdom perspective and understanding the church is there as a missionary outpost of something so much larger instead of the end in itself. And if we could see the church in that light, um, now all of a sudden evangelism takes a whole new light. Discipleship takes a whole new light. Uh, I mean, Mike, with all due respect to our listeners, if, if the apex of me going through all classes in a church is that I finally will get to be a deacon handing out pamphlets on a Sunday morning to people walking into a room, shoot me now. Nothing against deacons handing out pamphlets, but if, if that's the zenith of yeah. our vision for a developed and mature form leader, yeah, we're, we're facing a world of you know, just a, a world of, uh, of hurt. And it sounds absurd. It may be even offensive. And my, my apologies for that, but I'm, I'm really trying to uh, use metaphor to get something across here that it's so much bigger. And because the queen has been removed from the board right now, leaders, Christian leaders have an opportunity to really think through what do all of these other pieces do? And I think that's the great opportunity uh, to, transfer power, to be agile, to be able to recognize uh, that, yeah, it's scary, but it's, it's necessary. And God's, God's sovereignty has put us, his providential hand has put us in this place. He has, and with, with purpose, benevolent purpose and intent as well. Yeah, that's right. Speaking of coaching and that dynamic, unlocking those things, I've noticed for ever, and I was certainly more uh, a, more than uh, an observer. I was a participant in it, uh, in ministry, you know, when you're at, at a pulpit in a corner at a church. We spend a lot of time alone. We silo ourselves and consume ourselves in our heads. And uh, we need more time with one another as leaders to realize, you know, that we're not stupid, crazy, or evil, and that we're in the same space. Coaching can be part of that. Uh, my sense is that coaching has uh, become more cohort-based than it was uh, maybe 10 years ago. And I'm imagining, I know the work that you and I, or you're going to be doing with our network is that way. Are, are you seeing that too? Is that just my observation? And what are the, what are the values you find in getting leaders in the same um, context and the same setting to deal with one another and learn from one another. That's part of what you're doing, I know. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. And that's, that's also a cultural question, Mike, because, for example, in Africa, uh, African leaders are actually more open in groups than they are individually because of their shame-based culture. So they actually find greater comfort to be transparent in a group. Now, that's not Western. That is African. That's also Latino. So Latinos feel more open in a group than they, they do individually. So, um, it, so with Anglo communities, uh, there, I do think there's a, an untapped potential. We're actually doing this in New York City, and we're doing group coaching in New York City. We've shifted from individual to group. And, uh, yeah, it's going really well. Uh, our coaches are trained how to uh, facilitate a group coaching versus a facilitative experience. So we're able to help that uh, group come to mutual accountability, 
mutual learning. It's different from peer-to-peer coaching. That's very different because this group coach is trained on how to keep them moving forward in a project to hit a particular uh, goal. That's exciting. That's similar to some of the work that you'll be doing with us. Your work now, if we can sort of bring this to a close, I want folks to know where you're working. I understand you've been doing some coaching in uh, with some European leaders recently. And uh, what else are you uh, are you engaged in? And are there any takeaways that you might want us and as you've noticed or, or noted primarily North American context to be thinking about? Well, I think your last point was so profound, Mike. Um, we grow in community. And so um, everybody, once again, everybody's doing great in their study. But then you get them with others and things start to pop up. And, and pastors can be very insecure about that. And yet it's actually the means of grace for them to grow. And so, um, so right now I'm, uh, I'm excited about working with the Northwest Church Planning Network as we build out some coaching models that hopefully will be effective for them. But we're currently, uh, we're currently training uh, German, uh, Austrian, and uh, Swiss church planters using digital technology. Um, and that's been going very well, uh, in my opinion. And we're helping them understand as, as they um, take this gospel coaching and make it Germanic in nature. Um, we've already got stuff going in South America. So where uh, throughout the uh, Argentina, Peru, uh, all, all the way up to Colombia, from Argentina to Colombia, we've got now coaches that are doing this all in Spanish and they're gripping onto it in their own unique way. We're about ready to spearhead a coaching in Brazil, in Portuguese. That's about ready to take off. Africa, we're working on an entirely new coaching paradigm that's not Western at all. It's based upon the African values of myth and storytelling versus abstract bits of knowledge for discipleship. So, so that's a whole coaching model in groups using storytelling as the formative device. That's exciting. Uh, yeah, yeah. North America, we're doing group coaching. We're establishing coaching networks in New York City, L.A., and, and we're continuing to grow in there. Um, Australia has a life of its own. It's gotten so dynamic and grown. It's in every major city in Australia. I can't keep up with it, thanks to our coaching coordinator, Roger Bray. And in Asia Pacific, we're seeing coaching uh, take off. Japan, Taiwan, um, Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, I mean, South Korea. We are really seeing some great movement in the past few years where coaching has now got India now. Their next training alone, which happens in a month, is going to be 50 coaches getting trained in one training. That is huge. Wow. So, so I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about things. That is great to hear. Well, I'm optimistic now, too. I already was, but that helps me be even more so. And we're excited that the leaders here in the Northwest – uh, both in our network and we're reaching out to others can be part of that and we're very thankful for your fellowship and the work out here and for your time today thanks so much well mike it's it's going to be a lot of fun i'm looking forward to meeting the guys in the northwest church planting network and uh, excited about them pouring into the next generation great god bless take care thanks Evangelical is a ministry of the Northwest Church Planting Network in Seattle, Washington. 
If you would like to be notified of future podcasts, please visit nwcpnetwork.com and click podcasts.